You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Discover the universe of Iana and its many unique civilizations. Battle the loathsome forces of Kanker, find the lost portals of the Travelers, and ascend the stairs of the Fate Forge. Welcome to a special episode of Tabletop Arcanum. This is Justin, and Ricky is out this week on vacation and doing, we'll say, live research for his uh, segment on Games on the Go, which we teased was our next episode. But something landed into our lap this week, and we wanted to get some information out to you, the listeners. So we had the opportunity to get our hands on a brand new Kickstarter RPG setting called Fate Forge from Studio Gate. These are the same folks who brought us Shadows of Esterin, so you may have heard of them before. And while we got our hands on not only the 400-page monster that is the adventure guide, but also the 320-page grimoire or magic book, and we're going to dive into those and what this is all about. And since it's live on Kickstarter right now, we want to get you the opportunity to hear about it, get a little bit more information, maybe just back it for yourself. So before we do, go with a little bit of a roll recap as we usually do. Since this is a kind of a midweek episode, um, it's going to be a little bit lighter and just me. So played a little bit more of Arkham for the card game. One more adventure under our belt. This time we went back to the spooky mansion in Circle Undone. And it went pretty well. Not really trusting the Silver Twilight Lodge, but that's how it goes. Uh, we cranked out another ep- uh, session of Gloomhaven. This time we were working towards a personal goal. And, well, we got it. It was rough because it was one of those personal goals where the four of us were separated and each of us had to kind of reach our goal point in this session um, without exhausting and passing out. So it was very tricky. And got another case in for Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, uh, the West End Adventures edition. And Sherlock Holmes is once again way better than us and... While we felt we had a good handle on what was going on, there were, we got a lot of points, but it took us a lot longer than Sherlock Holmes, so back down to about half of what his score was. It is what it is. The game's a lot of fun. do recommend it, but it is definitely something that if you can beat Sherlock, I, I more power to you. Once again, news is a couple things came out and were announced that uh, I think are noteworthy. Uh, OP has announced another skin of the Rising series, so first Thanos Rising. We talked a little bit before about the European Dark Force Rising, which was a Star Wars skin of it. But now they're doing a Harry Potter, because they still have the license for that. So we're getting Death Eaters Rising. So more of a dice chucker card collection, using those to defeat Voldemort and his Death Eaters. Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition got another expansion announced. This is called Path of the Serpent. Um, That's due out fourth quarter this year. I am very excited for this because we're talking jungles, yig, 
and all the fun stuff that goes with it. And in anticipation, because Broken Token had just put out their big massive compendium box for Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, I needed to know firsthand, for personal reasons, but also wanted to pass on the message of they will be expanding that box to include kind of an upgrade kit so that Path of the Serpent will fit with it. Um, it just won't be necessarily something that will fit right away because development, timeline, etc. has to happen first. That being said, it's looking pretty good from the preview that we've already seen from Fantasy Flight. Now in our Kickstarter corner, again, kind of a brief one because we're in between, Thunderstone Quest has less, as I'm recording this, less than 24 hours. And so if you want to get in on Thunderstone Quest with a new expansion and get some of the old uh, Kickstarter bonuses and barricades and all that fun stuff, uh, AG is still running that for a little bit longer. Everything's funded. You just got to jump on in. Uh, Roleplayer also released their expansion Kickstarter, which is the second expansion First, you had uh, the base game, and then you had um, Monsters and Minions, and now it's Fiends and Familiars. So, going with the theme, we're adding more to it. They've already funded, no shock there, but they are adding a lot more uh, stretch goals. And most importantly, they are putting a big box up on the version here, because that big box is going to be able to store the core game and the two expansions and a bunch of the promos and stuff all together super handy instead of having all the boxes laying around i'm always a fan of condensing down collections so without further ado i'm going to go right into the big main topic why i am recording early it is the fate forge review i do have a special treat before i go into my thoughts of the books i was able to reach out to studio gate and make a connection with them, sit down with some time, and talk to one of the team members. So why don't we cut over to that interview, and I'll catch you on the other side. So enjoy. So thank you for coming on to Tabletop Arcanum. Well, and, and so why don't we get you uh, to introduce yourself. Uh, who are you, and how long have you been in the Tabletop Hobby? Uh, so I'm uh, Clovis. I'm the head translator for uh, Studio Agat, who has been designing Fate Forge as well as a number of uh, other RPGs, such as uh, Shadows of Esteran or First RPG. And I have been playing role-playing games for about 50 years now, and I have been translating them in a professional capacity for about 10 years. Great. You said 50, 5 zero. Oh, no, so, sorry, 15. 15, okay. My I bad. misheard you. So, yeah, 15 years. Um, yeah, I'm not um, that old. <laughs> you didn't sound it. That's why I was a little surprised <laughs> when I heard I it. I can imagine. Yeah, I'm kind of likewise. I've been doing tabletop gaming and RPGs myself for about 20 years. So, mm -hmm. Globus, what's your favorite game? Um, that's a, a bit of a tough one. But uh, honestly, uh, I would probably say D&D because it's such a classic. And it's basically how I discovered... Uh, uh, RPG in general, back when I was playing uh, Badger's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and games like that. So that's basically what introduced me to role-playing games and what I started with, what made me go, oh, that's so awesome, I want to live my own adventures and such. So I guess a side tangent here, did, are you excited for the Baldur's Gate 3 announcement that happened? Oh, so much. Um, 
yeah, Larian Studios are really great designers. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of the Divinity games. So when I learned that they would be uh, handling the production of Badius Gate 3, I really thought that no one would be more qualified to do that game than, the, than them. Oh, yeah, definitely agree there. Mm. So um, it, it was a really nice surprise. Mm -hmm. So d and is your, your main game. Uh, is there anything recently that you've been playing that uh, you've been really excited about? Um, if you're talking about like recent role play games, um, not really, but uh, lately I've been playing well some of the classics. Uh, I've been playing a, a Call of Cthulhu game and uh, let's see, an Exalted game. And okay. Yeah. So, so these are the like the games in addition to D and D that I've been playing lately. We've had a long-running campaigns for for these two uh, for for these two. We've been oh, playing nice. uh, uh, Masks of uh, Nyarlathotep for Call of Cthulhu, which which is an old classic. Yes, and uh, they recently did a new module for that, bringing it to the new edition, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, um, that's that's awesome because I'm a personally a big Cthulhu fan myself. So, do do you Definitely. play do you play the RPG on the regular? I don't necessarily play the RPG as much. Um, I do a lot of the board games that are themed in that Lovecraft universe, though. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, I, I, I've been playing, like, Eldritch Thor. You, mm -hmm. you know the one? Yeah, I've been playing yes. it a lot recently, and me and a couple of friends of mine are big fans of that game, so we've been playing, been playing it a lot. Right. Um, I got a regular group that plays uh, the Arkham Horror card game. Yeah, another classic. So let's talk a little bit more uh, about Pigforge now. New Kickstarter just came just launched this week yep let's talk a little bit about the inspirations for the world of fate forge uh uh iana okay so fate forge is ba based on a lot of different inspirations uh iris our uh, main author is really big into documentation so she's really been taking a lot of uh, like real life sources to draw inspiration from and to really make it something based on reality, but with also our own elements. So, mm -hmm. like each of the 18 civilizations is based on its uh, own inspiration and own uh, culture. So, for example, if you take uh, Shi Huang, which is uh, like uh, which would uh, be assimilable to uh, Asia in uh, our re real life world. So mm -hmm. we've been we've been like do stressing rivalries. Uh, various kingdoms, monasteries, mysticism, and we've also drawn inspiration from the fiction and uh, cinematography, if, and also more modern sources like manga or anime, which is, is also has, has influenced the design of Shiwang. And yeah, another okay. example, for, for example, for the Aeolian Isles, which are a very high fantasy region with flying ships and flying flying island, islands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We've actually been drawing inspiration from, uh, for example, the Sky Pirates from the Miyazaki movie, uh, you know, Castle in the Sky. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that would be one of the inspirations for 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 the Eolian Isles, and basically all all of the regions and the kingdoms and uh, civilizations of uh, Fateforge have their own sources of inspiration and their own uh, like corpus of uh, of uh, references that we've drawn from. Uh, that, yeah, um, that's very exciting because as I'm, as you guys got me the the, the book to review, um, going through it and starting to try to like internalize some of this world, 
I was picking up. I was I was definitely picking up a lot of that like very heavy theme, very heavy like okay, this is really this culture. This really is leaning into towards that culture. Yeah, definitely. So. We really tried to give uh, each uh, culture, as you say, its own tone and its own very unique uh, setting and its own mm-hmm. uh, inspirations. We didn't want like the whole world to be uh, just one inspiration, one culture. Uh, it def- so far, from what I've seen, it's definitely paying off. So, well, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the big nemesis of the world is known as Kanker. Exactly. Um, so can you describe what Kanker really is and what where the inspiration for that came from? So Kanker is uh, something that's kind of nebulous. Uh, it's always been meant as a sort of uh, arc nemesis, as you say. It's like mm-hmm. this big, uh, all-devouring entity that's been plaguing the world for for centuries, millennia, for basically as long as a, uh, as a human species have existed. And we've uh, really wanted it to be uh, some something unfathomable, kind of Cthulhu-esque. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's one of the sources of inspiration we've drawn. And of course, we've drawn inspiration from... A, well, real-life diseases, as the name indicates. And we really wanted it to be not, you know, the kind of big, bad, evil evil guy, but really a sort mm-hmm. of a holy, uh, devouring and, uh, and uh, like, hostile entities that uh, would really be a peril that would uh, threaten the whole world. Okay. So more of a... It's so big, it's so nebulous that it's hard to even pin down. Yeah, that's the idea. It's a, it's a, as I said, it's a bit like the old ones from uh, Call of Cthulhu, which are right. something not really evil, but so unfathomably inhuman that you they just can't coexist with humanity. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so Fate Forge is set on the um, the five E or fifth edition setting uh, rule set. Mm-hmm. So why was it? Um, why was 5e chosen? Uh, what were the benefits that you guys saw as a studio in that design space? And then were there any things that were hindering your design by picking 5e? Uh, so basically we wanted to pick a 5e because uh, like uh, D&D and the associated system is really something of a legendary status. And it's uh, really something we wanted to get into and we wanted to like um, do something as a sort of homage, but uh, also make it our own game, and that's in part why why we picked it because we are such we are all uh, big fans of D and D to to an extent. And mm-hmm. the benef- I have the benefits would I would say are that uh, it lets uh, it let us pick a very well known system so that we could really uh, uh, try to express our ideas and our creativity to as much people as possible to really. Uh, have uh, our own uh, story to tell based on, on this well-known system. And also we wanted it to do something different from Shadows of Esterin, which is uh, mm-hmm. a game that's, that's very based on uh, real life and harshness and, uh, uh, and uh, mundane characters. And with uh, 5e, we really wanted to do something more heroic, more epic, more action-driven. So that, that's... that's uh, okay. That, that's what we liked about it. We wanted to, we really liked the refreshing the, and the, the, the classic aspect of a 5e and 
what it would uh, allow us to do. And as far as uh, drawbacks, I would say that uh, that was also what was hard to, hard to deal with, um, because uh, it was a whole system that uh, not all of us were familiar with. Uh, not all of us like were used to playing uh, the D&D or the modern editions of D&D. So okay. it, uh, it definitely required a lot of uh, work to make sure that we mastered the system and so that we could also assimilate it and make it our own with our own premises and, uh, and elements. So we, uh, we really worked a lot on the uh, why the characters were so powerful, why they progressed at, at such a rapid pace. So mm. we worked a lot on the questions of uh, fate, on uh, heroism, on, and on uh, questions like that to determine how the, what, the, what the PCs could be and how they would come into play in the, in the world that we designed. In a, in a nutshell, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It, it had a lot of, most of the benefits were also some of the, the pains that you had. Yeah, kind of. Hmm. Okay. So, with that said, what is the standout feature that makes Fate Forge different from everything else? Uh, so, it's really a sort of a set of characteristics that uh, we've uh, tried to put together and that we think aren't that frequent in uh, role-playing games. So, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, all of the civilizations are very unique. So we've designed them so that you can play your whole campaign uh, traveling, traveling through them, or you can also like play your whole game within a single civilization. And that's uh, what we try to stand out. We try to make uh, the whole world interesting, to make it re each piece of it unique, and so that it can be interesting, uh, whether individually or as a whole. And it also shows in like the the various themes. So we try to make it a game that's mature with uh, the dark fantasy themes, uh, such mm -hmm. as uh, war or uh, the, the threat of canker or uh, two-faced uh, two evils or even the ambiguity of evil. And but uh, also leave ample room for heroism, for epic stories. And in that regard, we've. Uh, we are uh, proud of the what we call the modular system, and which is mm -hmm. uh, a system of uh, options and uh, tones that uh, basically allows you to pick optional rules or and such, so that you can uh, really go for uh, the type of atmosphere you want. And in that regard, I would say that's uh, that's how Fate Force stand out, stands out, because it's very rich and uh, very customizable. Yeah, definitely picked up on that um, as I was flipping, you know, scrolling through all the pages. So, what was the largest challenge in the design of Fate Force that you guys have, have, have encountered so far? So the I used to say the the hardest thing to do was uh, doing everything from scratch because we've done our own unique universe, so we've had to mm -hmm. like design it from the ground up. And um, Studio Agat is a, we have a, a small team to work with, so it definitely required a lot of work and a lot of uh, individual effort to make Fate Forge what it is today. And so that, that was uh, the hardest part was uh, designing everything, making sure, making sure the various books were going to uh, be combined well together. So it was mm -hmm. a lot of organization and planning and uh, a lot of uh, rigorous work to make sure that it would all hold together. Okay. Um, and, and so it has basically been keeping us busy on uh, 
daily, daily or at least weekly basis from uh, the early uh, the early 2016. Okay, that's so since early 2016, uh, it's mid 2019. So we're talking about three years worth of development here, almost. Yes, uh, for, of course, the translation proper did, uh, didn't begin before 2018, but okay. uh, the, the work on the Fateful series itself has been since uh, yeah, since the, since uh, 2016. So okay. it's been a really a labor of love that we've put a lot of uh, ourselves into, and mm -hmm. we've, re we've really taken every step possible to make sure that it would be a quality product that would really be engaging to people. Mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned as one of the things that stands out is um, it's customizable and has this modular set of options mm -hmm. so that uh, a leader or GM, game master, mm -hmm. whoever's running their game mm -hmm. can um, kind of pick and choose what they want. So with that, how do you, how did you guys come up with the game balance if you are literally letting players say, I want this, but I don't want that? So we actually took inspiration from uh, Shadows of Esteren, where we also wanted the game to be more or less epic or more or less uh, low fantasy or more or less hard or more or less easy for the players. Mm -hmm. So we took that and applied it to uh, Fateforge with the idea of uh, making, making it uh, really customizable. And so throughout the books and throughout also the scenarios, we have various options. Uh, like for example, if you, we have a, a greedy set of options so if you want the game to be really hard, very uh, realistic for the players, we have a system about wounds, about uh, using armor, about uh, the efficiency of, of uh, long rests and short rests. And so mm. these various options can be used to make your own experience. And so, for example, if you say, OK, I want my game to be very epic, very action driven, we have a set of uh, action uh, op options which uh, will will make uh, the pieces more powerful and uh, uh, setbacks more easy to recover from. Okay. So the balance really comes from within each module then. Your okay. module, you mean the scenarios? Um, not the scenarios, but like as you were saying, um, there's, if you want to make it harder for the, the players do this mm -hmm. and and that piece alone is balanced within itself. Yes, is that correct? Uh, um, yes, we have, a, as I said, various categories from the modular system, and everything mm -hmm. is detailed in uh, every book we've designed. We have a, uh, a cheat sheet of uh, the various modular options. And then, uh, for example, for the action options, for something more mm -hmm. epic and more action-driven, you've got a, a set uh, of uh, crossed swords, and you see that, uh, that uh, stamp uh, on the book whenever the uh, whenever a game option is related to that style. Okay. So pretty easy to call out because it's all icons then. Yeah, we really try to, to make it uh, easy to handle and very intuitive to go through. Okay. Um, now, you, Clovis, you work as uh, the trans uh, translation for the books. Yep. So this is going to be like right up at your wheelhouse of mm -hmm. I've spoken with authors before about especially high fantasy authors and made up words, made up worlds and translating it from English to Spanish, French, all the different languages of the world. So 
what are some of the unique challenges that uh, an RPG system setting has um, when it comes to that translation piece? Um, of course, the biggest difficulty would be to translate the original words. So um, it's it, like it can be hard for when you're designing your own word with your with its own vocabulary. If mm -hmm. you're not careful, it can it can you know quickly become a soup of uh, original words. So we tried we have actually tried to avoid that from the beginning. I'm kind of lucky in that regard because I work in a close coordination with the rest of the team. So mm -hmm. from the from the moment the the books are written, we I can already have an idea of the kind of the difficulties that we're going to encounter, and I can offer my input to avoid some things that would be like untranslatable or that would. Uh, like sound silly or or be problematic in English, so we've had a uh, I've I've had to make so, some calls regarding so, some words that how they would uh, sound in English to, to, to the, in the best possible ways. But okay. uh, I, I've been, I've been kind of lucky to be able to like coordinate with the author from the mm -hmm. moment the text were written. Okay, so. Um... While there is those challenges and, and pitfalls that you can't fall into, by having you working closely with them from the beginning, mm -hmm. as the translator, you were able to, like, maybe we shouldn't do it, say it that way. Yeah, like, um, actually, in the beginning, uh, Fate Forge mm -hmm. was called uh, Dragons in French, and we wanted, it for the English translation, to have something more unique and more, that would speak more about our own universe. So mm -hmm. we had a, we had a, we had a talk about what what, uh, what word we should use, and since the, the Fate Forge is to, is such a big important entity in the in the world, and, and what, it has a nice ring to it, I think. So we decided yeah. to make it the, the name of the of the of the series. Mm -hmm. That's that's an example of uh, how we coordinated to decide the, the translation for, from the beginning. Great. Um, so the Kickstarter is live right now. Yep. Um, and I already saw that you guys had hit a stretch goal this morning, yes. Which um, was pretty exciting to see that we're a couple days in. You've already funded. You've already hit your first stretch goal, and Definitely. announced the the next and and then of course announced the next couple ideas. Mm -hmm. So what is there any exciting plans um, beyond those stretch goals um, that you have in store for the campaign? Uh, yes, we've uh, of course thought about what what sort of, sort of uh, stretch goals we could uh, sh share with people and what what things we could uh, uh, we could offer to the community. So mm -hmm. I won't say too much because that would uh, kind of be uh, spoiling what what, uh, what would be coming. Fair. But uh, one of one of the next next stretch goals will be a partnership with Sirenscape, which will be designing. Uh, oh, well, I don't know if you know about uh, Sirenscape. Does it's ringing a bell, but I'm I'm not 100%. So it's basically a designer of uh, atmosphere music and sounds for role-playing games. Oh, uh, sirens! Yes. Oh, sirens! So I'm I'm <laughs> sorry if I didn't pronounce it right. I yeah no it, that I think that's what it was sounding familiar, but the, mm. the 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 accent was throwing me off a little bit. Yeah, Sirenscape. I actually started using it in my uh, personal game. Oh, awesome! So that's exciting. So yeah, they will be designing so, uh, Fate okay. Forge sunsets, uh, which will uh, be uh, customized to Fate Forge and which we will make available to the to the backers as thanks for reaching an upcoming stretch goal. 
that's pretty awesome. Um, so the first, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I hope that you guys hit that because uh, the other ones that were announced, I was already excited for. Because we have um, the scenario by Ed Greenwood first. Oh yeah, we were really happy about that one. Which kind of goes back to you, you guys were picking five E because of you know the the iconic nature of it and. If there was someone, you know, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons writer, Ed Greenwood is one of the top that pops to my mind all the time. Oh, definitely. I was talking so. about the legendary status of uh, D&D, and I yeah. think that Ed Greenwood also has uh, this very strong aura with being the designer of the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so then the next steps uh, that are waiting to be unlocked were... Um, Getting print covers for the art, uh, the 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 uh, covers of the book. Uh, yes, the art prints. Mm-hmm. The, the, and then, the... so I was really excited to see that because while the dragon edition cover looks really cool, I really do like the original art too. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, oh we have very we are lucky to work with very talented talented artists and mm-hmm. art and. Uh, uh, has always been a very big part of uh, of the games we've designed, so we really wanted to make the most of it to give uh, quality stretch goals and uh, and game aids to our community. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, if that one's reached, the next one it looks like was the uh, map of the free city. I don't have to. I was about, but yeah, I, I think that's the one. I was just saying, I'm I'm looking at the update now to make sure I was looking at the right ones in order. So. Mm-hmm. Those two definitely sound really cool, and then if we got Southern Escape kind of backed up behind that, it sounds like a great campaign with a lot of surprises coming up. Yeah, we we've been thinking about it, and uh, we really want things that are pretty, of course, but also that uh, players will be able to make use of. So, for mm-hmm. example, the, the the free city uh, the free city map is uh, very beautiful, and if you want like to play your whole campaign in the free city, it would definitely be a good game asset. Excellent. Um, and then the first wave shipment of the campaign is actually going to be picked up at Gen. Or be able to be picked up at Gen Con, is that correct? Yes, indeed. We wanted to give uh, backers an opportunity to get it as soon as possible, and to also be an occasion for us to meet with the community and like really see each other in person and share that uh, special moment. That's awesome. Um, besides uh, Fate Forge, is there? Since you'll be at Gen Con, is there any other Studio Gate uh, products or things that you guys will be showcasing there? Um, yes, we will have, of course, uh, Shadows of Esterin, which I've mm-hmm. been talking a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, we also will also have uh, Vermin uh, 2047, which is a post apocalyptic universe that we've uh, been uh, designing in French for the latest, uh, for, the, for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And that we will share at Gen Con uh, to uh, show what it's about, and which is another game that we've been working on and that we'll be very happy to share. Excellent. Uh, and then who from the team um, is going to be at, at Gen Con this year? Um, there will be uh, Nelly Han, who is the director of, the, of Studio Agate, and Jin mm-hmm. uh, Lee, which is, who is... Uh, or a layout artist, and also one of the artists of the series. Okay. Not making it out yourself? Um, no. I've been at Gen Con uh, previous years, but, uh, you know, we try to switch for, from uh, some team members to the others. 
so okay. that uh, we can each uh, have an opportunity to go out there and meet the community and enjoy uh, going to, to Gen Con and to the US uh, as a whole. That's exciting. So, well, I know if nothing else, I'll stop by and say hi to everybody there. Oh, we'll um, definitely be happy to, to see you. <laughs> so the next steps, we've talked about the stretch goals that are kind of in the wings waiting. The campaign itself is for the Adventure and the Grimoire books, which are player-focused books. Yes. And they and they reference um, three others, the Arcana, uh, in, uh, Iana, and Bestiaries. Yes. Uh, which are more leader or, or GM-focused. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of like the future plan, bringing those out? Yes, uh, we are currently working on them. Actually, they're... Um, this, uh, let's see, Bistieri and uh, Arcana are almost done being written in French. And mm-hmm. uh, Iana has a lot of work. Uh, we, we worked a lot on it, but... Uh, the, we'll also we we still have a, a long way to go to to get it complete, and okay. then of course once uh, once uh, Bestiary and Arcana are written, we'll have to translate them, which is going to take some time. But uh, we're progressing at a good pace, and we're we'll, we'll be happy to uh, to to show them to to people who are interested, and to give them mm-hmm. more material to play with. Um, as things are, adventurers has a lot of content. Uh, it uh, describes uh, the, the universe, and there are a lot of uh, information about, uh, like the divinities and the, the setting mm-hmm. and optional rules and such. But right. we'll really be getting more uh, more in depth regarding the universe with uh, Arcana and Iana, and of course, mm-hmm. this theory will give uh, a whole uh, whole a whole well, a whole catalog of uh, mm-hmm. creatures, in- including of course uh, unique ones that we've been designing. Right. And honestly, I think I'm as as the entire project that I've looked at so far bleeds theme and it just drips in 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 just gorgeous art. I'm really excited to see um, the best year, I think, most of all next personally, because I really want to see what sort of like madness creatures are developed for the canker or what other original ideas you guys have um, and partner with the, the great artists that you have. Well, yeah, we, we do have a lot of things uh, planned and mm. of, you can see actually on the Kickstarter page and in the player's mm-hmm. guide, we've, you, we are, you have, for example, on the Kickstarter page, you can find the Frost Giant. And uh, but uh, yeah, the, the creatures of Kanker in particular are these mystical, bizarre creatures that are, are can look really messed up, and we're really looking forward to sharing that kind of grotesque horror. Beyond that, is there anything else that we should expect to see out of the Fate Forge in the, in the universe? Uh, well, uh, Bestiary, Arcana, and Iana are the next three releases. Um, mm-hmm. We're still thinking about what we might do after we after these, but for for the time being, that's uh, that's as far as uh, the horizon goes for us. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a short horizon, so I'm glad to see. Uh, indeed. Um, and then, I guess in sum, um, I know I, I, I wanted to kind of pose this to you guys is if you were to put it all into three words, what would the three words be for Fate Forge? Um, I would say uh, actually we discussed it with uh, Iris uh, and Nell mm-hmm. and. We would say uh, colorful, epic, and uh, surprising. 
yeah, I, I would not argue any of those at all. Um, so I think Columbus, you guys have a wonderful idea here. Um, when I got the uh, media copies to start looking and reading and reviewing, I was like, every time I went to the next page, saw the layout, the art, everything just, it's pretty. Like, it's just, it's a pretty book, and there's so much in there that I kind of had to take a step back and go, okay, I'm going to have to set some time aside with this thing. Cause... Awesome. <laughs> well, that's um, definitely the, the kind of feeling we want to share, you know, with all that, mm-hmm. that, that sense of wonder when you pick something up and you're like, oh, man, this is so cool. I so want to do stuff with that. And that's really what we've uh, tried to put in every one of the creations we share with the with the community of role players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one piece, uh, aside from the art, the theme, and, and like how unique the world feels, there's one little... Um, in the book, it's only like four or five pages. It's, mm-hmm. But it's a section about languages. Oh, yeah. And how common isn't necessarily worldwide common but it's the common language of the area mm-hmm. um how the languages could potentially sound like how reading and writing like it's been a long time since i've seen an rpg book to sit back and dedicate pages to the like, language or writing mm-hmm. so well, i would yeah you, you can thank iris for that she, she's, <laughs> she's very into developing the like the minutiae of the universe mm-hmm. and Wondering about like the cultural and uh, more down-to-earth aspects of uh, of our universe and how they could translate into play, because of course, uh, common as a, as a language is a plot convenience. It's something that right. you have in D and D to say, okay, you all speak that language. No need to go about uh, like how you w- would be able to speak with each other. Right. But, uh, of course, it can be it can be used like that in Fate Forge, which is the easiest option. But we've mm-hmm. also uh, uh, try to rationalize it and to make may also may have a more realistic approach and say, okay, if you want common to be like uh, the, just the language of the starting region and mm-hmm. have the whole difficulty of uh, various languages and how you can understand each other, particularly when you go to, to foreign countries. Right. So I, um, you'll you'll have to pass my. Uh my wonder and my my gratitude over to to iris because like i said i haven't i haven't seen that you know i want to say i think i've seen it before early when i started rpging but uh it's definitely been a long time since i've seen like that nice you know little like care to detail sort of situation there and it can be a a very like amusing and interesting element to play in role-playing games i was talking about call of cthulhu and yes. of course, in you know, a mask of the Nyarlathotep, you go to various parts of the world. So mm-hmm. it can be really mm-hmm. frustrating, but also very fun to like have to deal with a language language barrier. Well, Clovis, uh, that's the series of questions I had for you today. Uh, is there any closing remarks or anything that you uh, or Studio Gate wanted to make sure we hit on before we call today? Well. I will just say that we wish to thank everyone who has been involved in the creation of and the backing of uh, Fate Forge and Shadows of Esther, be they the team members or the proofreaders that we've had the pleasure of working with, or all the freelancers we have we have uh, worked with. And mm-hmm. of course, 
every one of the backers ever since uh, the Kickstarter for for uh, uh, Book One Universe for Shadows of Esterion, we are truly grateful to be given such an opportunity to share our creations, and we really wish to do this for as long as possible and keep making people happy and invested with our creations. The care and love shows in the final product, so keep up the good work, and I think uh, you guys will be around for a while. Well, we certainly hope so. <laughs> All right, Clovis. Well, it's been great talking with you today. I, I thank you for the time. Also, the you know, working with the coordination of you know seven-hour uh, time difference here too. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Justin. It's been a pleasure to talk with you too, and we've been really glad to have the opportunity to like talk about uh, our project uh, with us and with uh, Tabletop Faithful. Perfect, Clovis. I am... oh, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, Cecily. It's Tabletop Arcana, right? Arcanum. Arcanum. Uh, sorry, I like <laughs> it's I all right. a brain fart. <laughs> well, and while I may not be able to see you um, in a moment, Clovis, uh, at Gen Con, I'll definitely be stopping by and saying hi to everybody. Most likely, uh, as I go through this, picking up my books, because this is just gorgeous. All right. Well, thank you very much. We're very happy to, that, uh, to see such uh, enthusiasm. And <laughs> We'll make sure we won't disappoint. All right, goes. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful night. Thank you, you too. And welcome back. So, hope you enjoyed listening to Clovis and what he had to say about Fate Forge. As you could tell, I'm pretty excited about it, and that was even before I finished reading all of the pages that they had sent me in this uh, preview edition, which is an insane amount of reading. And... It's one of those weird things, like, I don't understand, like, when you get absorbed into a, a novel, I just wanted to keep reading this. It bleeds theme. It is so just captivating because I want to learn more about the world of Iana. So it is full of little sidebars and paragraphs or half pages or even sometimes full pages of gorgeous uh, prose that gives you a little glimpse into the world, a little short story, a little snippet. Um, usually it's themed around whatever section of the book you're in, so if it's talking about a, a particular species, all the species kind of have their own little subsection. If you're talking about the classes, it'll talk about, oh, here's a story about a bard, or here's a story about a rogue. But beyond that, there's also other sections that will talk about the canker, or talk about the moons, or talk about any sort of little niche in life that um, they want to kind of highlight in these books. So, well, further ado, the Kickstarter itself is still going live. They do have that Gen Con pickup option, um, which is going to be very exciting for people at Gen Con. And the main book is the adventure book. That is 400 pages it is using the 5e system. The benefit that you get out of it is you don't need to have the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Player's Handbook to use this book. All of the game mechanics of 5e are repurposed into the book, which kind of helps float that page count. But if you look at the regular Player's Handbook, it is not a 400-page book. So the other thing, that Player's Handbook has the magic and spell system. That's stripped out and put into book two. So everything extra is expanding on it and 
building upon what the the core system already is. Uh, as Clovis and I were talking about, the Iana world is very modular, and that is one of the biggest things that they really do well in this book. So when you're looking at the modular system, there's several different options that you can, as a leader, GM, DM, whatever you want to call yourself, can choose to add, mix, and match. Um, there are primarily five categories, and then there's a couple other little like twist ones. So you can have action, which is your heroic fantasy. This is going to be more epic level stuff, more feats and empowerment for the players and the characters being more hero-like. Um, there's awakening, which is your ability to use magic in Iana. So there's different levels of awakening. You can be you know, non-awakened whatsoever and not have a lick of magical talent in your body. You could have a dormant where it hasn't quite fully realized yet, or you could have been born with it, or anywhere kind of in between. And they have kind of a rule set that attaches to that. And so shocking if your character's not awakened, magic is not going to be available to you. So things like a wizard or sorcerer are going to be kind of X'd off. Um, they have a dark tag, which is going to be more horror-related, madness, corruption, those dark, gritty... Um, those dark overtones and just kind of that nasty um, adult R-rated sort of material. So if you're playing with kids, you may want to leave the dark stuff out unless they're really into like horror movies or something along that line. Um, next is Gritty. Gritty is really neat because that's going to be your rough, um, non-heroic more realistic style of modular rules. Think your George R. R. Martin um, Game of Thrones sort of idea where it's not good and it's harder to heal, it's harder to live. Everything is going to be just tougher on the players where if they overcome something, it's going to feel like they're overcoming something. Uh, they have an intrigue tag, so that's going to be more schemes, plots, between factions and a little bit more intrigue. This is going to be more of a role-play area and more about character-on-character -character interactions. Um, the tag that I love the most, because it just fascinates me, is the mystery tag. This is going to be arcane, supernatural, secrets, and twisty things. Like The Fate Forge itself is part tagged with mystery because nobody really knows where it is or exactly where it came from or what it does but there's these ancient legends and history all surrounding this fate forge that the uh, fate chosen or heroes or venturers go off and sometimes they'll find it but anyone who's found it never has come back um, and one of the biggest things is like yes it'll grant you any wish you want with you know not necessarily like uh you know, Disney's genie limitations from Aladdin, but pretty much you can't get rid of canker or other big things is what they're saying. Or at least at this point, nobody's said that. So much so that there's legends of, you know, some of the active gods in the world are people who went to the Fate Forge and got divine power. Uh, the last uh, tag here that's optional. And it's elusive magic. So the, if the leader wants to use this elusive magic, 
you're not going to be handed the spell book and go pick what spells you know. It's going to be you have to find someone who knows it to teach it to you. And that all magical knowledge is ha- has to be learned and handed down. Something that kind of just gets overlooked in your D&D. Like, great, I leveled up. What spells do I want? Blah, blah, blah. Done. Uh, lastly, the, they have a dragon icon, which is key to like the Fate Forge icon. It is their way to just call out setting critical pieces that are just things that they're saying from Studio Gate saying, don't skip this. This is a critical piece and on to make this feel like Fate Forge. So all those tags really help out. There's icons. So as you're reading through the book, you spot it, you go, boom, that's what it is. You know, from a leader's perspective or a player's perspective, that's what you're going to read, and then you move on. Or if you're not going to be using it in your active game, you can just skip that section not to uh, be bothered with it. So... Upon expanding on the 5e stuff, one of the things Fate Forge does is I, the detail of the backgrounds. So backgrounds in 5e, you pick it, they kind of give yourself like, okay, I was a street urchin. Here's a couple skills you may pick up. Here's a couple items you might have. And usually there's like a unique characteristic of um, an urchin knows all of the ways in a city. So back alleys and shortcuts and they can kind of navigate a city without being hindered for time. So there's always kind of a, a perk for that. Fate Forge takes a whole bunch of pages dedicated to how to build your own background, and then they throw the sample backgrounds at you, which are different from the 5e ones. So if you want to mix and match, you can do that, or you stick with just the ones in Fate Forge. All in all, it's a way that someone broke down how to build your own backgrounds and how to keep it in such a way that it's still game-balanced. So, very, very excited for that. Um, as you heard in the interview, there is pages, not just a page, but pages dedicated to the languages, how it sounds, what it's supposed to sound like, and where common, if you don't want to be like a universal translator blanket, um, looking at you, Star Wars, or, you know, uh, Star Trek, or any other major uh multi-species fantasy where everyone kind of just generally you know elves have their own language but they also have a common language that everybody in the world hears and seeks and speaks if you don't want to you know blanket coat that they have a way of okay this area has this dialect and this area has that dialect and when you moved from one country to another it's just like the real world i go to france i don't speak french I'm going to have a very tough time communicating unless someone knows English. And someone there might, and I might need to get a translator, or it, my, my discussions and stuff are going to be very, very laden with uh, difficulty there. So, big, big fan of that language section, just as flavor. Now, another thing Fate Forge does is, yes, it is your 5E, so you have your barbarian, bard, cleric, etc classes the ones you know and love but they do also add a scholar class which is a non-magical learned class interesting fact about them is they're going to have alchemical uh, options available to them 
But even if you want their soul design to be flexible, that a leader can say, yeah, they can learn some fighter stuff or they can pick up some rogue stuff or maybe some ranger tracking. They're a scholar. They've learned something and then they become really good at it. And then they learn another thing and become good at that too. Uh, it seems like an interesting class. And all the paths are archetypes of classes. So in 5E, a rogue can become a thief or an assassin or an arcane trickster. But beyond that, they include and rewrite some of those basic ones that are available in the player's handbook in Fate Forge, but then they also, every single class, come up with their own path. Um, barbarians have a mage killer one, which seemed really cool. And sorcerers got like a psychic sort of uh, vibe instead of uh, dragon heritage or wild magic. They got kind of a, a psychic option. And these are all ways to enhance the world or change it up and say, hey, here's another option for you. Um, the amount of extra feats. I'm, I was actually building characters for D&D not terribly long ago. And I kept going to the feats section and went, and it might be just my 3-5 and Pathfinder days and all that. I always felt limited. I'm like, well, I'm just you know looking at these and I'm only seeing the same like handful that I like unless I'm building a character with a very specific idea in mind that, yes, they use crossbows and the crossbow expert is great for that. But if my character doesn't use crossbows, I'm almost never looking at that. There are so many feats in Fate Forge that I can't even commit to memory how many new ones or interesting ones. But I, I never really felt exhausted from the lack of options, um, which is a 5e complaint. And I will say, shackled onto the 5e system, if options were your challenge, Fate Forge takes all of it and says, here's even more. So I don't think options are going to be a problem in this uh, setting book. On the topic of equipment and gear, they spend a good chunk of page count on bartering, what money is like, what gemstones are like, how the money exchange system works. With the intrigue tag, it does something that I've seen GMs and DMs do before of going, oh, you went to a different country, you have local currency from your homeland, they don't use that here, and you've got to get it exchanged. And then there's a 10% exchange rate or something like that, and making that a new challenge, just like the language is, completely optional, but adds so much depth and realism to the world that it feels more organic. Um, just takes a little bit more work on the, the leader side of the table. The other thing that they did that I just love was a rarity system on base equipment. Not necessarily the armor or weapons, but your, your venturing gear, a silk rope versus a hemp rope. Silk is rare. And as a leader, you have the option to use a system that says it's rare um, in this village or hamlet. They're not going to have silk rope. You've got to go to a bigger city for that. It's always nice to see the work from a GM's perspective or a leader perspective. It's nice to see the work laid out and say, here it is if you want to use it. We've done the hard work. We've organized it all for you. Take it or leave it. That's the adventure book. And goes into combat, goes into all the things that you would need in a role-playing setting. So you're ready to go from day one with this book.
Now, the one thing that is not included in here is spells, but with the Kickstarter, you get both the Adventure Book and the Grimoire Book, which is where all the spells live. I think this is fantastic to separate this out. How many times at a table have you been there and everyone has to have access to a player's handbook because that guy's a wizard, that guy's a cleric, they both need to know what their spells are doing, but then you as a barbarian need to still know what your stuff does because how exactly does rage work? But then you're, you're passing this book around because not everybody has it, access to a book or uh, a digital copy or anything like that. So this is a book for the spellcasters, and the spellcasters can have it, and the non-spellcasters don't have to worry about it. Though, I will say with a caveat, there are some things that you do want to know in there. And that's just more lore, building, world goodness. In a 320-page book about magic, the first 105 pages are just how magic works in the, as a system, in the world, covering things like uh, a madness, if you want to go dark and gritty and and horror-themed, how a horror will work as a system. You, uh, canker is a very corruption-based thing, and almost like a pollution in the mind and the world. So how does corruption work? And again, they use all those different tags saying this is something that is dark, this is something that is gritty, this is something that is heroic. This is a mystery. And you, again, over 105 pages going right into this. There's um, included in there is geomagic. So like world lasting effects of like spells were cast here. There's a lingering magical effect in this area. They give you a bunch of samples and it's fantastic because it is just pure energy put in this book. And these are just the first two of at least five planned books. I cannot wait to see what the um, Iana, the world book is, because that's just going to be chock full of history. I'm going to be loving and to read that, just to read it. Um, kind of a nerd in that way, but hey, now from 100, page 106 on to 300, it is all spells. So again, you're able to kind of use what you have, and the list of spells, you know, alphabetical. All the spells have tags. So not only what school of magic are they from, but the other tags can be, hey, this is something that maybe if you're using a particular setting, because they added like different levels of magic that you may not want to have in your game as a leader. If you want to do that, like um, magic lock, which is like things that are tied to planes of existence or gravity related, um, that pretty much require a lot of magical energy is what they say you can say nope no magic lock or what about mental stuff anything that has mind effects and that way you can facilitate information nope let's not must not use that or um my my scary one was life lock um where grievous injuries and diseases that can't necessarily be cured as easily so dark and gritty stuff um look at life lock because that's going to be intense if uh, you can't heal. Um, speaking of healing, one of the things I came across in the Grimoire book that I thought was fascinating is restricting coming back from the dead. What if only heroes and the fate chosen and those who are destined to do something are the only ones that like resurrection spells work on? 
your your average farmer, your guard, someone who's retired from the venturing life and just is done, can't be resurrected. So, like I've been saying, Fate Forge is full of lore, fluff. Um, I think Clovis and his team, um, Iris as a lead designer, they all put a lot of labor of love in here. The Kickstarter is live so that not only it's pretty much done, but this is also going to get you a lot of extra materials and stretch goals as well as a reduced price from retail. And I think it's definitely worth it. If the system, if you don't run a game in Fate Forge and in, in IANA itself, I've already looked at some of the aspects and some of the optional things as maybe I want to drag this over into my regular D&D 5e game. Um, nothing's stopping you. That's what the greatest thing about resources are. It's your game. It's your world. Do what you want. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm personally very interested in it. I encourage everybody to check out the Kickstarter. They have a player's guide, which is a shocking 66 pages. Download that, read through it, and you will find yourself either drooling for more or not. It's ultimately your call. I do suggest checking it out. I think this is a fantastic thing that Studio Gate has put together. And honestly, do yourself a favor. Look at their art and the layout of the pages. Um, the Grimoire book pages look like they're like stained. There might be stuff spilled on them. And it looks like it might have just been a wizard spell book when you get into it. Um, the art level on the other, uh, the adventure book, is also equally as stunning. And it's a very good combination of these sidebars and the art that, and the layout that just put this beautiful book together. And Studio Gate should be very proud of themselves for putting something like this out. And I think it is... Well done. Um, I've seen a lot of other particular modulars and books, and some are well done, some are not. The layout on this is very well done. Um, the organization of where to start, where to finish, the separation of the spell book into its own book, I think was a fantastic choice. Next up, I would love to see what the leader books are like. Um, the monsters... The ability to look at what the magic items are like in the world. Because they don't really touch on that too much. Because that's going to be just kind of like D&D put that in the uh, Dungeon Master Guide. Uh, they're going to be putting that in the Arcanum, uh, the Arcane Book. Which is your leader guide uh, for Iana. That is what I have to say about Fate Forge. Um, it is epic. It is big. It is almost intoxicating just to look in the world and just see what's around the next corner. So this is Justin from Tabletop Arcane. Wish you happy rolling. Check out Fate Forge. I'll put the link to the campaign in our show notes so that you can have easy access to it. And tell us what you think. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. 
You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.